You know, Christmas is uh, less than a week away. Uh, how many of you have finished your, I mean, four weeks away, I meant four weeks away, four weeks away. A week away, I need to get busy. <laughs> it says four there. Uh, uh, how many of you have, you have finished your shopping? Anybody finished your shopping? Paula and John. Really, John? Are you growing a beard? <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, so a couple of people, the rest of you still got work to do. I still got work to do. I'm one of those Christmas Eve shoppers. You too? You too? All right. Way to go, Brian. Um, I, but I don't need to do that because things are gone by the time you wait till Christmas Eve. Uh, how about decorating the house? You decorated the house? Yeah. Yeah. Most, a lot of people have decorated the house. Uh, normally, uh, when we, when we decorate our house, we'll have a nativity scene, right? Um, We've got several. Jackie loves nativity scenes, so we have lots of nativity scenes. Uh, and, and usually with a nativity scene, you have the regular cast of characters in that scene. You've got shepherds, you've got wise men, you've got a few animals, uh, uh, cows and, and sheep, and you've got, of course, Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus. Have you ever noticed how in nativity scenes the baby Je the Jesus looks like he's six months old? Um, I, I've always wondered why they do that. Um, and I think that the overall mood that, that's communicated through those, cha those characters and that, that scene is, is a warm feeling, right? It's a, it's a warm feeling when you look at that, that peaceful uh, scene. It's nice. The silent night, a holy night. That's how we feel when we see the nativity scene. And, and there's certainly some truth in that uh, because peace was coming to earth and all those those wonderful things about Christmas. But maybe our, our nativity scenes don't capture the whole picture of Christmas. Um, every year around Christmas time, we, we gather in our homes or maybe at a church, and we read from the New Testament, the, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. We read the Christmas story from those books. Uh, today, though, I want to read the Christmas story from the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. Have you, have you ever read the Christmas story there? Uh, and, and there it's given us a, a very different pic picture of something else that was happening at Christmas time, at that very first Christmas. Let's read the Christmas story in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 through 5, and then 7 and 9. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And verse 7 through 9, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've never seen that version of the story in a nativity. Anybody, anybody seen that, that version? How about on a Christmas card? Uh, you ever gotten that version of Christmas on a Christmas, uh, of Christmas on a Christmas card? That'd be kind of a scary card, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, uh, it, it it's, it's really, though, if you think about it and, and understand what was going on, it's, it's the rest of the story of what was happening that night that Jesus was born. The author, Philip Yancey, writes this about that, that part of the story. It is almost beyond my comprehension, too, and yet I accept that this notion is the key to understanding Christmas and is, in fact, the touchstone of my faith. As a Christian, I believe in parallel worlds. One world consists of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching their flock at night, and the other consists of angels and sinister forces and the whole spiritual realm. Now, the picture we get in Revelation of the first Christmas is of a child born, a dragon attacking, a woman escaping, and then the story continues in Revelation 12, verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandment and hold to the testimony of Jesus. We're starting a new uh, series, a Christmas series this morning. Uh, we're calling the Untold Stories of Christmas. Stories that, that may not be found on a Christmas card or uh, uh, in a children's Christmas drama. Um, but uh, it's, it's still very much a part of the arrival of Jesus as our Savior, these stories. And today, as we've seen from the Revelation Christmas story, one of the untold stories of Christmas is that it is a war story. And the first ever Christmas was D-Day. D-Day. I thought it was interesting, uh, Daryl, that you mentioned World War II and, and talked about the, the atrocities that took place during that time in history. You know, when, the Nazi, when Nazi Germany had taken control of most of Europe, it looked as if uh, they would never be defeated. They just got more and more powerful as they marched through Europe. Uh, they, were, they were powerful. They were very evil, the Nazis, causing so much pain and suffering and death to millions of people. And the only way that they would ever be defeated is if an army invaded Europe and just took Europe back from them. That's the only way they would ever be defeated. In order to do that, the Allied forces must take their army to the enemy. So on June the 6th, 1944, we call it D-Day, the Allied forces landed at Normandy and thousands of troops stormed the beach. About 2,500 of them lost their lives that day. But they won the beach, and uh, they established their presence uh, on the enemy's territory, this army. And war historians would tell us that once that beachhead was established, though there would still be another year of, of terrible war and suffering and loss, it, it was now just a matter of time before Hitler would be defeated and the war against Germany would be won, once the beachhead was established. You know, in, in a very similar way, Christmas was D-Day in the story of the war to redeem mankind from their sin. 
the Christmas story is the invasion in the spiritual war against Satan and sin. When the baby was born in Bethlehem, this, this might sound kind of strange, but he was, Jesus was a soldier. He was a lone soldier all by himself. And Bethlehem was the beachhead for his invasion into the enemy territory. Now, uh, Jesus didn't come to, to fight against an aggressor nation, but instead he came to fight against a much more sinister enemy than any nation. Before that first Christmas day, our planet was really much like Europe was before D-Day in a spiritual sense. An evil enemy had overtaken the world, and it looked hopeless for everyone. And the only way to stop this enemy was to establish a place from which to fight. And at Bethlehem, that was the place. That was the place. Listen to what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus in 1 John 3, verse 8. John wrote, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. To destroy the devil's work. For some, the idea of Satan seems kind of fictitious. You might come across people that say, well, I believe in God, but I don't think there's a Satan. You know, it's like a fantasy or just some kind of cosmic boogeyman that's out to get us. And it's just, done, you know, it's, it's hard to, to grasp as reality. But as we look at, at the world today and, 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 and the way it was in the 30s and the 40s uh, during Nazi Germany, uh, isn't it obvious that there is evil in this world? It is real. That there is a force driving this evil. And if we believe in God, if we believe in Jesus as our Savior, the very same reliable truth source that we learn about God and that we learn about Jesus, the Word of God, the Bible, teaches us consistently that there, yes, is a devil. Satan is real. And this planet uh, had become his occupied territory. Jesus was the one man's special operations uh, that came to take it back, to take it back. Do you ever think of Christmas in that way? I don't know that I ever have. Christmas means war. <laughs> it means war. The first Christmas was D-Day in that war. When Jesus was born, that was God saying to the evil in this world, um, Let's roll. Let's roll. We're going to take you over. Now, there was a, a, an incredible strategy involved prior to this invasion. This wasn't just a haphazard arrival. Uh, there was a big plan that went along with it. Uh, but it was different than what people thought the plan should be. Uh, you know, people who met Jesus as he walked the earth, uh, they urged him to be a, a military commander, uh, uh, a commander that would take up arms and lead people to overcome who they thought was the enemy at the time, which was the Roman Empire. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's not the plan. That's, that's, not, what we're that's not the kind of war we're talking about here. So here's Jesus' battle strategy according to one of the greatest military leaders of history, Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon said this, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I myself have, found, have founded great empires, but upon what did these creations depend? Upon force. 
Jesus alone founded his empire upon love. And to this very day, millions will die for it. Who, who thought Napoleon was a spiritual guy? <laughs> but apparently he was to some degree. Jesus' stra strategy was a daring raid of love to establish himself in the capital, not of some nation, but in human hearts. In human hearts. And the only blood that would have to be spilled in this war was his own. His own. Jesus knew the territory to be taken back was not geographical, like we think of like in World War II and other wars. He knew that the territory to be taken back was here, the hearts of people. The enemy had entrenched itself uh, in, in, uh, not in bunkers or behind barbed wire, but deep in the human heart. And it was this heart that was the territory that Jesus invaded. A strategy to come and to reclaim that territory. For each and every person to turn their hearts to Jesus and receive salvation and rescue from the enemy. The religious establishment of Jesus' day didn't understand his strategy. Uh, what they did recognize was that he was a threat to them. He was a threat to their power over the people because Jesus kept telling everybody that they could come to him and receive forgiveness of sins. So what did they do, the religious leaders of Jesus' day? They formed an alliance with the most ancient enemy of all, death, and they took the baby who had now grown to be a man and they took him out. That's what you do in a war with the enemy. You kill them, right? You kill them. But not in this war. That's not how you win. In fact, little did the religious leaders know, but they were playing right in to the hands of the plan, the strategy. That's exactly what, what God wanted them to do. And killing this soldier just paved the way for his finest hour when this baby who had become a man walked out of the grave victorious. Even death itself could not hold Jesus down. The Bible says that in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, um, Paul wrote, O grave, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It had no victory, it had no sting after Jesus defeated it. Christmas was D-Day. Jesus was the freedom fighter who was born that night. And each and every human heart that has surrendered to him experiences and participates in the victory that he won. Christmas is a war story, a war story. Now, maybe you, you might be hearing that and you think, okay, that's kind of interesting take on Christmas. Uh, I, I, okay, but so what? You know, what, what, what does the untold story of Christmas as a war story have to do with me? Well, that's a good question. So let me give you three answers to the so what question. The first one is going to deal especially with those who haven't uh, joined with this war yet, who, who are not a part of it. Um, and so first, we need to understand, and especially those who may be watching on Facebook this morning, uh, we, we, we need to understand that 
We need to be with Jesus in his battle. We need to be with him, not for him. I'll explain what that means in a minute. Do you remember back on uh, uh, September, in September the 20th, 2001? That was uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, when George W. Bush gave a speech declaring war on terrorism uh, after the, uh, the attack uh, on 9-11. Um, uh, President Bush announced to every nation in the world, either you are with us or you're with the terrorist. You're either with us or you're with the terrorist. He was saying, if you don't fight the enemy with us, you are the enemy. Now, way before George Bush, Jesus said the very same thing, but about a different war. Listen to his words in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus recognized that there is a war aspect to uh, Christianity. And he was saying that in this war he's waging, there is no neutrality. There's no in-between. You know, the, the problem is that there's a lot of spiritual Swiss people in the world. You know what I mean? Switzerland, remember Switzerland back in World War I and World War II? They just, they just went about their business uh, as war raged all around them because they were neutral. They were neutral. And, and when it comes to Jesus, many of us think uh, that, uh, that a person can be sort of spiritually Swiss, Spiritually swift, kind of, kind of neutral, you know, just, just uh, believe in God in a general sense, uh, but don't get, get in so involved that people might call you a fanatic. Uh, Jesus said, no, you're, you're with me or you're against me. There is no in-between. There's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. And, and notice Jesus didn't say, you're either for me or you're against me. No, he said, you're with me, not just for me. Now, there's a difference. You might say, that's, that's just semantics, Mark, but no, uh, there's a difference. If I'm for somebody, you know, it's like, okay, I'm for you. I, I like you. You're, you're a good guy. I'm rooting for you. I'm for you. But when I think of being with somebody, that's very different. You cheer for your team, right? You're not on the team. We always say things like, Oh, well, we, uh, we lost last night, or we, we really hard, fought good hard last night, and we, we defeated that team. We didn't do anything. <laughs> now, we're, we're just for them. We're not with them. The players fight with the team. Fans sit in the stand, and, and, and players participate on the field. There's a big difference. Fans are for the team. Players are with the team. Jesus wants us to be with him in the battle, on the field, not just sitting in our church chairs and just listening and watching and cheering, but on the field with him. Some people think that, that following Jesus can just be a spectator sport. You know, let's support him, but let's don't get all bent out of shape about it. I mean, you know, you can... You can go too far with that religious stuff. But it doesn't work that way. Not in Jesus' mind, anyway. Christmas means war. And Jesus said, you're with me or you're against me. There's nothing in between. And sometimes we just don't realize that and think about it that way. 
So this morning, I, I have to tell you that, that if you're not with Jesus, you're against him. You're against him. Even if you don't mean to be, if you're not with him on the field, according to Jesus, you're against him. Now, we, we don't want to hear that. I don't want to say it, but Jesus said it. We'll just let Jesus say it. Many people hear the words of Jesus and they understand the plan. Okay, yeah, yeah, he, he said it. There it is. I have to be with him, not just for him. Got it. And then they look at their watch and they think, but I got time. I got time. There's no hurry. Uh, I'll eventually, Jesus, I'll eventually get out there on the field with you, but I just am busy. I got my career. I got my job. I got these things I got to do. Or maybe you heard the plan and you understand it, but you just reject it. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with that. Some of you may have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. That was a, that was a shocking movie, wasn't it, if you've seen it? Very realistic. I, uh, uh, many people have said it's, it's more like being actually in a war than any other war picture uh, that had ever been produced. Following the invasion of, of Europe on D-Day, it's the story of a group of men who survived the invasion, and they are tasked to find a soldier named Private Ryan. And they, and they were to rescue him and send him home from the war. You see, his mother had already lost two of her sons in the war, uh, and the army did not want her to lose all of her sons, her third son. And so the soldiers were tasked to find Ryan wherever he was, and nobody really knew where he was, find Ryan and send him home to his grieving mother. Ryan is lost, and the soldiers are seeking to find him and save him. Well, as you watch the movie, it's interesting. When they did finally find Private Ryan, uh, find Private Ryan, he, he doesn't want to go home. He doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to be saved. And the sad truth is that a lot of people who are found by God don't want to be saved. God has given us the freedom to reject him and uh, to keep our hearts far away from him if we want to. And so many people choose not to be saved. If you, if you are among those, uh, if you're watching on Facebook out there and, and uh, you are among those who just keep rejecting God's offer to be saved and be with him, in this war, I urge you, and, and certainly God urges you, for your eternity's sake, accept the offer of salvation that's given to you and join the team on the field. Join the battle. For others, the problem might be that you just don't understand the offer uh, of salvation. You know, in the movie, when liberation finally comes for private ryan and he finally decides okay i'll go home two words are spoken by his commander uh, like by the captain uh played by tom hanks uh he said to him just before he's dying he said earn this he said to private ryan earn this meaning all that it cost to save you private ryan you earn it in your life and you know, I, I think those are the first two words that come to many people's minds when they think about the salvation that God offers to them. 
Uh, a lot of people have an earn this mentality. I've got to earn it. Just, you know, ask people on the street, uh, you think you'll go to heaven? And, and many people might say, yeah, 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 I think probably, yeah. Yeah, if, if you ask them, how do you know, they might answer something like, well, you know, I've, my, my good things outweigh my bad things, you know. So I, I think I'm good. As long as my good things outweigh my bad things, I, I haven't done anything too terrible in my life. I, I've gone to church. I give money to the United Ways. I, I, I coached a little league team one time. Uh, and basically, uh, I, I, I've done enough to earn salvation, going to heaven. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works at all. You can't earn your salvation. You couldn't pay for it if you tried to. You see, the price has already been paid. Jesus paid for it on the cross with his own life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, 23, that what we do earn through our life is death because of our sin. That's what we earn, death. But God gives us the gift of eternal life that's free by just coming to him in faith. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. If you're out there on Facebook thinking, I, I got to do better when I get my life straightened out. There's no getting your life straightened out for us because you can't earn it. God wants to forgive all of our sins to take back and, and restore our hearts to give us the promise of eternity in heaven. And we cannot earn it. All we can do is accept the free gift that God offers to us through Jesus. And only those uh, who say yes to that gift will receive it. So how do we do this? How do we do that? How do we get that gift? Um, well, it starts with understanding and accepting some of the truths about Jesus that we read about in his word. Uh, for example, that Jesus is the Son of God. Believing that, accepting that. Uh, that he lived a sinless life. Uh, and, then he, and then he gave up that sinless life on the cross uh, to pay for our sins because that's the only way our sins could be removed uh, and be reconciled with God. That, that he rose from the grave on the third day. And that one day he'll return again and, and bring his followers to live with him in heaven forever. Uh, one of the first things we've got to do uh, if we're reaching out to take that free gift of salvation is understand and believe those truths, those facts that we read about in God's word. But it's got to be more than just some intellectual thing. Uh, it's got to be trusting God for our salvation, trusting him with our everyday life, with our eternal destiny, putting all of our trust in him for eternity. Following the words of God, of the Bible, uh, living our lives the way God wants us to live as shown to us in his word. We also need to trust God in baptism, if you've never done that before. Uh, the Bible says that the time and the place that we receive the gift of salvation is at our baptism. Now think about it. There's got to be a time and a place when we're saved. When is that time or place? Well, the Bible doesn't say it's when you get a shiver down your back. That's when you know. Uh, I had one guy tell me, I, I cried, and then I knew I was saved. Uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about crying. doesn't say anything about saying a prayer. That that's the time you receive. What it does show us is that you received the gift of salvation at your baptism. 
So on the very first day of the church, in the New Testament book of Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter preached a sermon about that very thing, about what we're talking about today, about the Son of God and salvation through Jesus. And, and after the sermon, someone in the crowd yelled out, well, okay, what do we do about it? What do we do? And Peter said to them, well, two things. You repent, you turn back to God, you repent, and you be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 that in baptism we are united with Christ, which is why God chose baptism, because it's a beautiful picture of what happens to us when we become a Christian. When we're lowered under the water, it kind of looks like a burial uh, and so we're, we're united with Christ in his death. And then when we're raised up out of that water, it kind of looks like a resurrection. And there we're united with, with Jesus in his resurrection. We actually experience a death, burial, and a resurrection in baptism. There may be someone here today or someone listening somewhere out there on Facebook this morning. And you're thinking, ah, well, there's no hurry. I got, I got time. I got time. Maybe one day, maybe one day we'll take steps like that. But I would urge you to stop saying that. Because you never know whether you have tomorrow. And, and decide, I'm ready to be with you, Jesus. I'm ready to be with you. I'm ready to accept your gift of salvation and join you on the battlefield. So, if that's you, give me a call this week. Private mes message me on Facebook. Or if you know the number here, give, give me a call. Let's get together. Let's get this done. If you haven't done it yet. You don't need to earn it. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. You don't need to put it off another day. Give me a call. Contact me. Let's, we can have a private baptism. Uh, you could bring just you and your family or anybody you want. Let's talk. Let's make it happen. So the first, so what? Some of you need to say yes to Jesus and join with him in the battle. The second, so what, uh, is we need to understand what happens in war and be ready for it. Be ready for it. D-Day uh, was on June the 6th. And the very next day, June the 7th, 1944, Brigadier General Norman Dutch Coda, who's the assistant division commander of the 29th Division, came across a group of infantry pinned down by some Germans at a farmhouse. He asked the captain in command why his men were making no effort to take the building. The captain answered, sir, the Germans are in there and they're shooting at us. Coda replied, well... I'll tell you what, Captain, as he unbuckled two grenades from his jacket, you and your men start shooting at them. I'll take a squad of men, and you and your men watch carefully. I'll show you how to take a house with Germans in it. Coda led his squad around a hedge to get a, as close as possible to the house. Suddenly, he gave a whoop and raced forward, the squad following, yelling like wild men. As they tossed their grenade, grenades into the windows, Coda and another man kicked in the front door, tossed in a couple of grenades inside, waited for the explosions, then dashed into the house. The surviving Germans inside were, were streaming out the back door, running for their lives. 
Coder returned to the captain. You've seen how to take a house. Do you understand? Do you know how to do it now? The captain said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. The captain the, uh, said, the, the Germans are shooting at us. Like, like it was a surprise. It was a surprise. But isn't that what happens when you're in a war? You get shot at. You get shot at. If you say yes to Jesus, you're going to get shot at. The enemy is going to try to take you down, bring you down. The enemy being Satan and his, his warriors. And here's the deal. A lot of people be, uh, who become Christians are surprised when they then get shot at, when it gets tough. They become Christians, and, and then they say, well, I don't understand. Why, why do I keep getting tempted? What, I don't understand why things are going wrong in my life, why my marriage is so difficult, raising children are so difficult. Well, Kevin was talking about uh, uh, this morning in Sunday school how that people are writing negative things about, about the church and what's going on with them uh, they, even in this young church, they're, they're already being shot at by people who are, against, who are against them. Well, that's what happens when you're in a war. It, the enemy attacks you, shoots at you. Satan doesn't want you to survive and be victorious in your walk with Christ, and so he's going to try to take you down. Now, without a doubt, the Christian life is the best life ever. You can't have a better life than that. But still, we, in, we need to understand we are in a war. And we're going to get shot at. There is an enemy. Satan is real. He's going to try to bring you down. He wants to take you out. And so we don't need to whine about it. We need to fight back. We need to take the house. We need to unbuckle the, gr the grenades that are on our belt and Kick in the door. The Bible says in the book of James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. You're in a war. So let's expect to be shot, out, shot at and not whine and run, but fight back. Fight back with God's help, with the Holy Spirit that is in each of us. Fight back and not let Satan get a foot in the door of our heart. And one more answer to the question, so what? What does the untold story of Christmas as a war story have to do with me? Well, let me answer that question with a question, which is, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you're with him, are you advancing or retreating? Are you advancing or retreating? You became a Christian and, and you were probably excited at first. You know, you were excited like Kevin is excited right now with all the this new work that's that's exploding and that they're anticipating and look forward to uh, you were excited at first when you made that decision but since then what's going on are you going backwards or are you going forwards or are you just kind of uh, idling in the middle are you retreating are you advancing are, are, are you on a mission are you fighting Jesus' battle of love on purpose, intentionally? Am I with Jesus in his mission 
to take back every human heart or am I just for him? Kind of neutral in the middle or even falling backwards. See, God didn't call you and me just to go to heaven. Sometimes we sort of live our lives as Christians. Well, I'm in now. I'll just glide on through. Yeah, he wants all of us in heaven, and that is one of the main goals, right? But he also has called you and me and saved us so that we can join in the war with him. And that's why Paul wrote to a young Christian named Timothy in the New Testament in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 through 4, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Timothy, you're a soldier now in the Lord's army. Being a soldier for Jesus, that's your life now. So don't get involved in all that other stuff. There's a war going on, and we need all of your attention for the war effort. Timothy, be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And that's what he's saying to you and me as well, to you and me. Keep advancing. It, you know, I, one thing that I've understood throughout my life is, uh, you know, have you, have, after you've been a Christian a while, that is, it's hard to keep that enthusiasm up, isn't it? It's hard to keep that advancing idea and, 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 and desire in our hearts always going. So we've got to constantly be evaluating that and seeing, am I falling back? Am I just idling? Keep advancing. Don't retreat. Don't retreat. Keep advancing and, and, and growing in, in, in God's Word. Pray more. Read God's, God's Word more. Worship. Worship. As much as you can, grow your heart for God. Keep advancing. Grow in your heart for people. Because that's what, as, as Kevin said uh, at Sunday school, uh, the church is all about people, especially broken people. Do we have a heart for broken people? Are we willing to deal with their brokenness? Serve, sacrifice, smile. Care more about them than you care about yourself. Consistently showing people godly character, God's love in a way that draws people to God, not pushes them away. Keep advancing, keep advancing. And do so consistently. Let's do that through our lives so that uh, when we get to the end of our life, we can say like Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, I have fought the good fight. Paul understood the war nature of his walk with Christ. Paul said, you know, the, the end of my life is here and I can feel good about what happened in my life because I was on the right side and, and I fought the good fight, the battle waged with love for people's hearts. I fought that fight. And then right after that, he writes, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You know, the idea here is that Bethlehem was the beachfront of this war. Jesus landed there in an all-out invasion of enemy-occupied hearts. Later, Jesus struck the mortal blow to the enemy by dying on the cross. And then Jesus stepped out of the grave, the victor. 
the outcome of the war has been decided. Yet the battle rages on, and we, we're in the middle of those battles. But there will be a day. Jesus is going to come back, and on that day, he will finally bring an end to all the battles. And we will be there to enjoy the complete victory of Jesus' power. And Paul says there is a reward for all those who long for that appearing when that day comes. There is a reward coming for those of us who fought the good fight and who are eager for Jesus to return in victory. The untold story of Jesus is that it is a war story begun in Bethlehem and finished one day in glory. So let's be out there with him, advancing, not retreating. Father, I thank you so much for uh, your willingness to, to fight this battle for us, to, to pay the blood that was shed uh, for victory in this battle. We didn't have to shed our blood. You did. You won the battle. You died. You rose from the grave. And now you just call us to join with you in that battle. Or sometimes when we, when we think about uh, fighting in this battle, we, you know, we get weary. We've been doing it for a long time. It's easy to get weary, to slack off, to just, just idle and neutral, uh, or even to fall backwards. But Lord, help us to remember who we are. We're soldiers of, of your son. And help us to never forget what our mission is, and that is to win the hearts of the lost. So let us think about uh, uh, intentional relationships that we talked about a, a few months ago, uh, to, to renew that, to keep renewing that, because it's easy to let it fall off. Uh, to think about people in our lives that need Christ uh, and, and with passion for their souls, reach out to them in love. Father, I, I pray that if there's someone here or watching on Facebook that uh, has been rejecting your salvation, that they will reject it no longer, uh, but they'll, they'll do what they need to do uh, to accept you as their Savior. Uh, we can have a baptism this week. I pray, Father, that uh, anyone that needs to do that uh, will, will take the necessary steps to take that free gift of salvation. So thank you, Father, for letting us be here today uh, and hear uh, the other side of this Christmas story, a war story. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name.